won my heart, it was no contest With a ruby red lips, blonde hair, blue eyes Well, I'm about to bid my heart goodbye Hi everybody, welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast I suppose this is part 2 for the week And thanks to those of you that listened to the episode on Friday um, And those who reached out, I really appreciate it I was very torn on doing a more serious episode But as I always say, we're not all one-dimensional we can't always be light, always be heavy It's important to mix it up I know that those of you who listen are very dynamic and care about a large variety of things, and especially when pop culture coincides with such real life, so many real life issues, I want to be a place we can talk about it, and I want to be a person you can reach out to about it. Um, it's, it I always want to be careful not to be a, overly be a caricature of myself. I see, think sometimes, especially when you're talking to yourself or you have a shtick or you have an audience, it's easy to kind of really lean into just being one way. And I'm really not in person or on here. And um, yeah, I just want to have this be able to be a space that to talk about things that I and hopefully you guys care about, whatever that may be, however light or however heavy. And that song sold at the Grundy County auction. (laughs) Uh, I love this song for many reasons. One, I love 90s country. I mentioned before I have trouble getting into country nowadays, but um, there's something pure to me about country from the 90s. I do love John Michael Montgomery, who sings the song. He also sings two of All for One's remakes, I Can Love You Like That, and I swear he's the original singer in their beautiful songs. And um, this song makes me laugh because it's super country. It's super fast because he's supposed to be talking like an auctioneer. And one of the first times, uh, actually the first time, Greg, my now husband, came to Virginia Okay, Virginia's in the Mid-Atlantic, right? It's like, it's considered the South. It was, you know, Richmond is the former capital of the South. Um, But it is, it's not, I guess parts of it are super Southern and parts of it aren't. It is still pretty close to D.C. So some, if you are from the South, you don't think Richmond, Virginia sounds very Southern. But if you're from the North, you think Virginia sounds, you know, you you assume it's like very rural or something. And um I think Greg didn't know what to think of Virginia, but one of the first times he came to visit, we, uh, my brother and sister and I were in the car with him and we were driving and this song came on and I don't think he'd heard it. And I don't know, it's just alarming when um, three people that you don't, you know, my siblings, he didn't know super well yet at the time. And it's alarming when three people all like start singing in unison very precisely in an auctioneer tone to a country music song to a person that doesn't really love country music. <laughs> but anyway, of course, I was like, oh, no, it's a very popular country song. Uh, I swear to you, you know, we are in a stereotype down here in the semi-South. And um, that same weekend, we went to a wedding and the bagpiper then pulls Greg aside and proceeds to tell him about Every Confederate war general buried in the near vicinity of the wedding venue in great, I'd argue, disturbing detail. And um, also proceeds to tell them that the Civil War is not over, that it is just halftime. And that is where I draw the line. (laughs) Um, So needless to say, it's uh, I have a soft spot for country music, you know, I dated somebody in high school who drove a truck. We would drive through the country of Goochland, Virginia, which I know sounds ridiculous to anybody that's not familiar with the area, but it is called Goochland, and it's not weird for some reason. Neither is me being from a town called Short Pump. I can't, I can't tell you where these names come from. Actually, I can. Short Pump, there is literally a, a there was like a pump in the town center in the 1800s that like had a half handle, but that's beside the point. 
Uh, the problem with the, a name like Shore Pump is it sounds, I think he thought it sounded so rural, like, you know, a, a sleepy one horse town, if that's what you call them. Was that what you call them? Or is that like a Western town? I guess more a one stoplight town, if you will. But uh, Short Pump is no more rural than if you call rural having like uh, two regal cinemas, an AMF bowling center, several large town centers with the Bellagio rivaling fountains and, you know, being lousy with California pizza kitchens and Maggiano's Little Italy. It, it is not, it, it is very suburban. It is, is the suburb of all suburbs. And I loved it. And I grew up there and, um, you know, it was just funny that so many things were lending themselves to his assumption and stereotype when I, I like to think we're very cosmopolitan. That is like one funny um, thing that happens when you move away and live in cities like when I I went to college in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is a, an amazing small college town. Um, but, you know, the, the, the college town fair is, is very like bar foodie. And uh, there's a place that is directly sent from the gods called Cabo Fish Taco. I do believe there's another one in some other location. Um, and obviously my famous, now famous Buffalo chicken wrap. I got more emails about that Buffalo chicken wrap than I did about like, you know, bearing my heart and soul about my business or life in any capacity. Like I, I almost cut that out. And it's so funny that so many people both relate to empathize with the lack of, and are inspired by my perfect BCW. And for that, I am grateful. Um, but uh, when I moved to New York and, you know, you, there's uh, 10 million holes in the wall that are just so unique and different and the staff is grumpy and the menu isn't published online. And like, you know, you go to so many unique places, you're like, oh, my God, how could anybody ever, I don't know, like eat in an olive garden or something and you get pretentious. But then enough time passes and you've li- you've been eating in these expensive, one-of-a-kind, quirky ingredients, farm-to-table, whatever places. And I'm like, what I wouldn't give to go to a Red Robin. To go to that place and to get that strawberry lemonade and to eat a bottomless basket of fries and ask for the seasoning that is just Laurie seasoning salt that they pretend is this, like, special Red Robin salt. And just, I mean get bot- bottomless refills on fries is truly unheard of. I want to go anywhere where things are bottomless. I want to go to Mexican places where chips are bottomless. Soda refills, obviously, that goes without saying. Uh, mimosa brunch, sure. That's a, that's a city slicker thing. A, a bottomless mimosa brunch, I would I imagine it would be difficult at like a, a suburban strip mall. I don't see myself doing that in the burbs. What I do see myself doing? Sitting at an olive garden, eating unlimited soup, unlimited salad, I want a bread basket. Like after all these years of fine dining, I just want unlimited breadsticks. I want a a very sweet high school waiter to come hard sell me a, a bottle of white Zinfandel that he swears is straight from Italy. And, you know, even though I know that's impossible because not only is white Zin not an Italian varietal, also old world wines are typically named after their regions and not their grapes. And I would correct him just so he knows I'm from the big city, but I am choosing to eat at his fine franchise establishment so please don't spit in my minestrone i that's just the kind of a-hole i am <laughs> just kidding i would never do that uh I, I have spoken before about my frustration at being corrected if you say bruschetta instead of bruschetta but also knowing it sounds incredibly douchey uh, so you know I, I i i i'm cool i'm not a jerk but i am a jerk if you say espresso because it's it's just it's just not the word it's espresso but if you say espresso 
I'm going to venture to guess you probably teeter on especially and maybe even supposedly. And in which case you need to rethink the board of directors of your life because people aren't, people aren't telling you the truth. If you're over 30 and say supposedly, I cannot help you. I, I honestly, I'm kidding. I'm not a wine. I really, really like wine, but I'm not a wine snob because even though I like, I, I, I objectively know a lot about wine just because like as a hobby, I've pursued it as going to like, tastings and classes and i don't know it's just like that's our favorite vacation thing to do or like wine centered activities but i have the palate of i mean i i ate a lunchable yesterday if that tells you how sophisticated i am so i i i love the wine world and i desperately want to be a part of it and i know what i like but i i don't have uh the universal taste nor the uh education to give people suggestions or discern between different types and regions or whatever but i'm obsessed with the the movie the documentary som s-o-m-m as like as in short for sommelier not som 2 watch the first one first it is so worth your time that is your homework for the week weekend you it's so if if, if you don't even like wine it's just it's funny to watch it's a group of young men studying and competing to take the master sommelier exam for the Court of Master Sommeliers, and which are basically a group of professional wine experts by trade that are experts not only in the wine themselves, but also in pairing wine with food that work at restaurants and hotels and stuff. And this Master Sommelier exam has one of the lowest pass rates in the world, I guess, out of like any sort of exam or diploma or type of license you can get. And there's only, I guess there's a, a little over 200 people in the history of time that have passed this exam to become a master sommelier. Granted, I think this organization was probably established in sometime in the mid 20th century, but anyway, it's incredibly difficult, incredibly hard to pass. People study years and years and years for it. And there's one part that's theory that is, you know, history. It's all about wine and cocktails and hospitality and all that. And then there's this blind taste test, which is, you they sit down and they you're given six wines and just from taste you have to identify like old world or new world the region the grape the varietal the producer the year the alcohol content i mean you have to identify everything just from a blind taste test which is incredibly difficult and you have to not just have uh, done a lot of studying and testing but also you have to have a, a certain palate i would imagine to even be able to detect those small differences but the best part is the way they describe the wines are hilarious in that they they smell and taste things that a human mouth should not even be detecting in a wine that is considered to be good so they'll start off light you know they'll be like oh yeah there's you know real you know real tart finish i i'm, I'm tasting berries i'm tasting boysenberry i i'm tasting a, a hint of plum and then they'll like veer into this arena that i just cannot even understand what they're talking about they're like um yeah there's a real minerality a real undertone of a of, of fresh tar maybe fresh open can of tennis balls i'm sensing a uh the nose has a bit of cat urine on it. And you're just like, what are you talking about? You'll hear at wine tasting things like, you know, uh, the minerality, it, it, the smell is like wet rocks or something, which maybe, I guess, I don't know. There's an earthiness. I understand like the element of terroir and like where it's grown and soil and crap. Like 
plant-related things, but like cat pee? The fresh can of tennis balls? I mean, I won't even tell you all of them because it's it's worth the wait. It's it's very funny and it's very real. And I just, I am obsessed with people that are really, really into their craft and think, you know, I mean, honestly, they, they interview the guys and they interview their girlfriends and wives. You would think they're in Navy SEAL training. They're, everybody's exhausted. <laughs> it's just like the most fascinating and funny thing. Granted, if you pass it, you get an amazing you know, job at one of the top Michelin star restaurants around the world and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure it's, it's all great. But then, you know, you watch another documentary called like Sour Grapes, which is about a a longstanding wine auction con run by this man out of his studio apartment that just had like a silk screener. And you're like, damn, this is subjective and really hard to take seriously as an art sometimes, because I mean, I guess any art is taste related, right? Uh, there it's the I guess everything in life that is not black and white and concrete and is not a science it it's only as good as somebody else telling you it's good it's it's the Cardi B effect the Meghan Markle effect it's whenever I see people that have just been very much themselves and doing their thing for a really long period of time and then like one person or one thing happens to them that tells the general population that they're cool or they're good and they're they become he- crazy popular it's very fascinating because like cardi b was on love and hip-hop and she's always been the exact same but all of the sudden the world is obsessed with how she talks and acts and yeah it's so funny and charming but i had seen her on love and hip-hop and i was like oh yeah this is how she talks um megan markle i mean like Truly, I wake up and scroll through an Instagram account that's like at HRH Meghan Markle and just like marvel at her photos and videos and just think she's the most beautiful, elegant woman in the world. And like, would I have done that for a, you know, series regular on a USA Network show? Probs, probably, probably not. Um, so anyway, it's it's that's the way it is with anything. So if somebody tells me they're obsessed with this wine, then I get it. I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. Like tannins. But do, am I really obsessed? I don't know. My biggest tip about wine is just have a catchphrase that when you're at a restaurant at a work function, you're trying to impress your in-laws, whatever, and you are the token person that has to taste the wine and detect the bottle, just pick a catchphrase that is generic enough that it can apply to anything, but specific enough that it sounds like you know what you're talking about. So mine is, you know, I swirl the wine on the table because apparently you're supposed to swirl on the table and not in, you know, in the air. Take a small sip pause and say, hmm, bold, yet unassuming, which are opposing thoughts. But in the moment, people are like, yes, gosh, thank God we asked her to taste. Life is all about not what you actually do or what you actually know. It's about what people think you do or think you know. And I learned that at work in the corporate world. When I watched people marvel at these like leaders and peers that I had that I thought were just totally incompetent, but we're always acting really stressed and really busy and so slammed and shoot me that deck. And I got to get like, I mean, they, 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 they walk the walk. They, they, well, no, they talk the talk and nobody cared that they didn't walk the walk because talking the talk is all that other people see. And I was just like, wow, this is such a life lesson in that you kind of control your own narrative. Not that you should lie or, you know, not stand in your truth but like doesn't everybody think that they're a little lame 
I'd argue that anybody that thinks like, God, I am so cool. I am so refined. I am so smart. I am so this or that. I mean, that's that's a little weird and not genuine. And people will eventually see through that. But then you think of people like Amal Clooney. And when George Clooney met her, a 39 year old, you know, human rights lawyer with more accomplishments than he'll ever know, despite being a Hollywood star relative to what she's done. He it's like, cool, up in the air. Yay, Anna Kendrick. But she is like, you know, uh, fighting with Julian Assange and in the international courts and fighting for recognition of Armenian genocide and like doing these major, major international human right ca- human rights cases. And from from a career standpoint alone, obviously, she's an incredibly respectable woman. But like, don't do, do you guys ever just wonder if really respectable public figures, especially in very otherwise serious careers, just think they're like a doofus? <laughs> My, I don't know the best way to say it. But like, I think I'm I don't know. Like I'm business savvy. I, I know a thing or two. I think I'm smart, but I could do the most intellectually impressive thing in the world, but I would feel the, like the exact same little girl inside, despite having the ability to kind of compartmentalize and use a part of my brain that is a total professional. Am I making any sense at all? I don't know. You know, and at the time I was like, oh, you know, she's almost 40. She knows herself. She's so refined. She's probably like, he's lucky to have me. But like, don't you always feel like yourself no matter how much you age? Don't you always feel like a doofus everywhere you go? I wonder if Amal Clooney felt like a doofus. And I truly never used that word besides that two times just now. But like, if I met some mega celebrity that was like so in love and fascinated with me, I would be like the whole time just waiting for him to figure out that I'm like the worst. And when I say the worst, I mean, you know, I eat Lunchables. I, I just am not some, you know, fancy woman of the world. And I can't help but wonder if Amal Clooney isn't just like the rest of us, because she does seem like a really uh, nice, ethical, principle-driven, uh, nurturing woman who wanted, you know, a family. Obviously, they have the twins and wanted to get married, but was career-minded. And I, I respect her a great deal. But I like to think that people like that aren't delusionally self-confident because confidence isn't, they're all going to love me. Confidence is, I'll be fine if they don't. So the most confident of people are very, very themselves. And I like to think that uh, most respectable people have an element of imposter syndrome, have an element of, I'm a doofus, why are you with me? Because that is part of, I think, a lot of people's charm. A great deal of what makes somebody awesome is kind of not realizing how awesome they are, at least in my book. I love meeting people that I'm like, you're so funny and smart and talented and da da da. But I, th- th- if I'm able to say that before they are trying to tell me that, that's a good thing, right? Like you just never, I don't know. It's, it's very off putting when somebody is too aware of their um, accolades, accomplishments, nat- nat- natural gifts. And, but that's, Perhaps coming from a person that's too, um, I don't know. I, I, I've, I'm really into personality typing exams. And my friend Hannah told me about the, I think it's called an Enneagram. And, and I apologize if I'm saying that wrong. But I love Myers-Briggs and all things like that that they make you do in you know, your HR departments to check a box that they're doing leadership development type work with you. And I hadn't heard of this and I took it and it was one of the, it was very, Oh yeah. I've talked about Myers-Briggs house, um, self-actualizing. It was for me to, uh, learn that I was an introvert and learn the true difference back when I was younger. 
And this is like a really good um, personality typing exam in that it, it kind of, it, to me, it felt grounded in like what you feel you're missing, who you want to be, the, the type of the, the areas you tend to focus on more than other people. And like for me, mine was called like the individualist. Like I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about not feeling like everybody else. And I'm really obsessed with purpose and I'm really obsessed with deeper meanings. And I tend to, you know, draw people into intense conversations and help them try to find their purpose. And I always I'm just not very good at like being uh, super fun and surface level. Um, And I was like, oh, I totally feel this way. You know, obviously you take or leave some things, but one of the elements of my personality type was like, you are hugely introspective and very self-aware, yet hugely self-conscious. And I was like, oh my God, yes, I totally am. Because people that speak a lot about their self-awareness or, you know, methods of introspection or whatever may come across as emotionally intelligent, not saying I do. But that might be mistaken for confidence or, or, or a sense of self that actually completely isn't there. And the whole basis of the personality type is is in search of the very thing you think they have. Anyway, good times. Look it up. There's eight. I think there's eight or maybe nine types of personalities. I thought it was interesting. Let me know what you are. I'm a four, but also fours are very self self-absorbed. And I know I do have a podcast where I just talk to myself, but it's not because I'm self-absorbed, it's because I'm socially anxious and too disorganized to have a calendar of where I actually book guests and then too also disorganized to think of questions for each guest. So here we are. <laughs> anyway, what was what was that whole thing? I was talking about wine, chain restaurants, I don't even know. Can you tell that I, uh, this is day one of my diet that I was supposed to start about three weeks ago for a trip that is in 10 days. And, you know, the worst part is on Friday, I bought a baked potato with the Whole Foods, um, one of those that's like already mixed with the sour cream and the cheese and the scallions and the bacon. It's twice baked, which is way too involved for me at home. I'm never going to scoop out that potato, mash it, mix it, put it back in the potato and then cook it once again. That is so much work. That is things. Those are things my mom does and Whole Foods does. But Whole Foods, I never actually have bought that potato. I just gawk at it every time. I, I merely sniff a prepared food section and Friday I did buy it. It was going to be my kickoff to my diet. And, um, we ended up going out to eat and we're doing other stuff. And then today I was like, Oh my God, no, I still have this baked potato. It was five ninety nine. I don't know what to do. And part of me thinks, okay, I'm just going to have to, you know, start tomorrow and eat this potato tonight during the bachelorette. You know, it's it's tough stuff, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I guess you're going to have to stay tuned and see what happens next week. I, I, I'm i sorry to leave you with a cliffhanger, but I really want to eat this potato. It really does look delicious. If it's not, I'm going to be upset. It's I've I don't think anybody's gone ever gone to a Whole Foods and not just thought to themselves that badly. They want to get their mitts on one of those BPs. But anyway, I. I, I feel like I have no excuse to not be really fitnessy and healthy and stuff because I do work from home. But the, I'd also argue that self-employment and working from home produces a sort of guilt and self-loathing that others will never know or understand because you can work a whole day and not have like washed a dish or clean the house and like 
the dog is like holding its bladder and the whole house is in disarray and you're like heads down in your office and it appears you've been home all day and not even put on normal clothes but actually you've been working your ass off all day but have absolutely nothing to show for it because you're one person and because you actually it's like the intensity in the work is so much harder than any job I've ever had that paid me so so much more money but I have so much less to show for it and it's absolutely maddening so as I said that I disagree with myself and that I should be able to eat more healthy and be more fitnessy because if anything because if you work well if you work near a refrigerator that there's no judgment passed for you to go to and fro it's fairly easy to eat your way through the day which is what most of us who work from home do which you know an office kitchen is a little bit different I mean granted I used to spend my days just parked outside of conference rooms waiting for those extra sandwiches because there is always at least five vegetarian sandwiches ordered because you don't want to offend a vegetarian. But statistically speaking, it is very unusual that a third or greater of the people in attendance will be a vegetarian. So typically what's left after a meeting is salad and vegetarian sandwiches. What you can do, you know, obviously everyone wants the the Italian, the turkey, the the roast beef. Those are all gone. The portobello sandwiches are left. They're usually on a lovely focaccia. You remove the vegetables. You take the balsamic vinegar inevitably left from the uneaten salad because people too, feel too bad uh, throwing away prepackaged things like pads of butter and salad dressings. You dip the focaccia in the balsamic and you have a great day. You have a great lunch. You have a free lunch. And, you know, bada bing, bada boom. Also, another phrase I've never said in my life until just now. Um, but yeah, I guess there's, you know, perils of, of both lifestyles though there was something funny and charming about being in a cubicle environment and just living for the leftover cookies living for a a nice lady who brings baked goods into the office and when I say a nice lady it sounds like they're old but my sister is the person that like sends prepackaged goods in like a valentine's day cellophane baggies to their co-workers and I'm like you know your intentions are so great but if Greg ever comes home with a cellophane baggie of Valentine's goodies from another lady, that lady's going to hear from me. <laughs> That's the problem of a genuinely nice person is a genuinely nice girl doing things for ni- nicely for men. As a, a colleague, my sister has zero agenda. If I were somebody on the rece- the spouse of somebody on the receiving end, I would be like, you know all up in those incognito tabs, trying to figure out what her deal is on LinkedIn. Um, Anywho. Oh, yeah. So this past weekend, I found my iPod from college. And every time I move, I find it, I charge it, and I just relish in days of, I mean, soul-searching of a time capsule of the glory, the pain, the anguish that is Random Shuffle. And, you know, I had some trouble this weekend because I... It's not as intuitive to use. And I was running errands out with Tugboat, listening, listening to my um, getting ready playlists, which are vulgar at best. And, um, you know, what's uh, what at worst? Easily digestible or like temporary? Like these songs are so epic at the time, but you don't realize how not timeless they are until you've listened back and you're like, oh, yeah, this is so big and so catchy. Yeah, like nobody sits around and listens to this anymore. Uh, a, a prime example would be an Akon song. Smack that, sure. I'd, I'd 
bucket that into classic. But, you know, it kind of has a lot of songs like Beautiful, like I Want to Break Up Right Now, 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 Now. Wish We Never Broke Up Right Now, Now, Now. Um, he famously sings the Woo! And Gwen Stefani's The Sweet Escape, which I, is falls in a category to me of songs like Blurred Lines, or I guess to equate it to that era, the Gym Class Heroes song, Cupid's Chokehold, where it's like that token catchy song that's so overplayed in its time that I just never, ever want to hear it again. But anyway, a lot of my college getting ready music is like Juvenile, Ice Cube. It's, it's, it's a lot of Save the Last Dance soundtrack. It's a lot of rap, but like pop rap. Um, and part, I, I, anyways, I, I was going to the UPS store. There was a really long line. I noticed my headphones are on very loud because I was walking out on the street and I have tugged out in one hand, my packages in the other, and they're trying to talk to me. And I, and at first I didn't notice, then I look up and I was like, oh, and then, so I take one headphone out. I'm like, oh, these are so loud. Everyone can hear them. I try to turn them down, but I have an old school iPod in my pocket. So not only am I pulling out like a gen two, you know, 2003 iPod, which, you know, if I were the other people in line, I'd be like, seriously. (laughs) Um, and I can't figure out how to turn the volume down because the thing on the headphones doesn't work with old iPods. And um, you have to, you know, twirl the, the wheel left. But if it's not on the now playing song screen, it's on the menu. It just swirls between menu options. So I'm swirling between menu options, pressing menu, trying to get to now playing, trying to press pause. And all anybody in this silent store can hear with this girl with this tiny puppy who's wearing jorts and a full formal moccasin because whenever I think I'm just going to quickly step out to get tugboat to go potty I end up running other errands but like I I don't really know anybody around here and anyways this is all anybody can hear this is a bad song no it is just this it's Famously, the song that Katherine Heigl and Seth Rogen were dancing to when they met in the scene from Knocked Up. I don't even, I never even thought that movie was that funny or good. I'm not like a big Judd Apatow movie fan. People act like he's God's gift. And I just, I think his, his movies have brilliant concepts that have so much potential to be funny, but seldom are. And that does not include freaks and geeks. I know he has some good stuff. And I know he produced girls and like the first few seasons were fine, but... I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings on his body of work. Did he do Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Because I do like Forgetting Sarah Marshall. That's like I mean, Bridesmaids. And I think he did The Big Sick last year, which was one of the best romantic comedies I've seen in so long that I desperately needed. And I love like the classics, like, you know, the Will Ferrell movies. But, you know, sometimes his movies just don't land. And maybe it's just that I don't really like the knocked up 40-year-old virgin. This is 40 super bad of it all. But anywho. Again, don't I don't know enough about movies to be taken as an authority. I suppose my point was that I couldn't figure out if that was an embarrassing song to be listening to or not. I think the embarrassing thing was more so just like the, the it's one of the most bass intense songs that I have in my repertoire, if you will. <laughs> um, and it's just it's very, very loud. And um, I don't know, it, it, it was just kind of a something that made me laugh a little bit I guess just of the scenery of me using an iPod and listening to a pretty old song that I didn't realize people could hear for like several minutes before and then me fumbling 
to turn it off when people already knew what it was. It reminded me of that YouTube video of that guy who there's a YouTube video of a of it's like a compilation of people listening to embarrassing music in public places and watching the people react in public. And there's one that makes me laugh really hard of a guy in a library listening to a whole new world. And I don't know why it's so funny, but like a frat bro in college just jamming to unbelievable skies, shining, shimmering, splendid. <laughs> it's just very funny. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I guess that's what I did this weekend. I uh, unpacked. I did a lot of work. I listened to my college iPod. I ate food out while I thought about my baked potato and um, thought about giving you homework in terms of watching Psalm, then Psalm into the bottle, and then sour grapes afterward. And then get back to me and let's talk wine documentaries because I have a lot to say. Anyway, um, real quick, you guys know my whole moving debacle. And also, you know, my whole debacle with like being an influencer and having sponsors. Well, I don't have a sponsor, so to speak, but I do have a company that I reached out to that I told them I wanted to talk about. And in exchange, they gave me a summer of free storage, which, hey, I told you guys I was going to be transparent about this process the whole time. And let me tell you, I was uh, a nobody ever responds to me. But B, I'm really trying to reach out to companies that I like and use and that have made a difference to me and be like, hey, I really want to talk about you. But like, there are numbers here and there is value and whatever that means to you, let me know. And they were so cool and responded immediately and have been really nice. And, um, anyway, they're called make space. And not only did they save me last year, this is all way before I had this podcast or any interest in talking about it publicly, but truly it's something I use last year. I had to move last minute before my wedding, which was out of the country, which is stressful on its own, but then having to move, it was my home and my office. It was awful. And then I, I found this company back then. I've had a bunch of stuff in storage for the past year that I didn't know what to do with. And then this past month when we unknowingly, we had signed a lease to move in our same building, but then had to vacate for a month and nobody was helping us out. We had to move fully out and then fully back into the same building. Uh, Make Space came to the rescue again. And what's awesome about it is that they are it's, it's like cloud storage, like you have cloud storage with your data and that you don't like really know where it goes, but you know it's like out of your hair and out of your hard storage so you don't run out of room on your phone. It's that for physical stuff. So they pick up, they do pick up and drop offs of your stuff and put it in a storage unit and upload images and titles to the cloud. So on an iPhone app, you can scroll through and see all your stuff, pick out what you want to be delivered back. And then you can also have stuff picked up anytime you want. It's on demand. It's really, really cool. And they have the skill set and the the muscle of movers. So basically, we moved in and out of our entire place without getting movers because MakeSpace came and took it all and then brought most of it back. And now a ton of it I'm keeping in storage because I don't want my crap around anymore. I'm like so tired of stuff. And I have a complicated relationship with my stuff because of all of these moves. And I've talked about before... I talked about them on Instagram before I even reached out to them because I registered for my wedding for the person I want to be and not for the person I currently am. So I, all this, you know, my baking trays and cake stands and muffin tins and stuff that has never been unpackaged, it lives in storage happily away from me because I don't need to look at it and feel worse about myself and worse about my domestic capabilities. I know that someday in life, just like I'm going to become a morning person, I'm going to become a person that bakes or something. I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't even know what half the tools are used for. Uh, but anyway, it's an awesome, awesome solution. 
that just kind of solves the world's oldest problem. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an innovation on a stale category of moving and storage. And Lord knows I never want to see a storage unit. I've watched too much storage wars and they just take it off to their units, they, wherever they are. And they are located currently in New York, in D.C., in, in L.A. and in Chicago and expanding, I believe. And um, yeah, they just made my life a heck of a lot easier. And I would have talked about them anyway. And I did earlier on Instagram. So that is Makespace, makespace.com. Follow them at Makespace. And I think I can get you $75 off um, with a link that I'll put on my Instagram story or maybe on my website or something because I don't know how to like communicate an affiliate link to you over podcasts. This is very professional and scripted, clearly. But seriously, thanks to Makespace for being responsive and excited and for taking a chance on a, on a smaller fish, so to speak. I hope to one day have a big pond, but gosh, I so appreciate the businesses and people who appreciate uh, the, the, the smaller audience and smaller format because there's a lot of benefit. Oh, okay. The original reason I started this, <laughs> I started at John Michael Montgomery the auction song <clears throat> i played that not just because greg that was like a funny memory of him of me trying to be like we're not a stereotype and then proceeding to like you know swing my arm and elbow and tap my foot to a super twangy country song um but it, i took greg to karaoke on saturday night and when i say that i don't mean i sung karaoke we were out to dinner and then there's this karaoke place on our walk home that I love to go watch people sing a, cause it's, I love, I love to know when people are in their like best form shining moment, what song they choose, but B it's like one of the only bars I can go to where I know I'll like the music. Cause people are just singing like the most popular songs. Um, and, but it, it, I say that, but then there's so many misses. So we went on Saturday and you know, well, we get there and the, these guys, these 20 something guys, like, I don't know what they're doing. All, all, all you need to do is sing a boy band hit, an R&B hit, something from the 90s, early, mid 2000s. The, everybody will swoon. But these guys get up there and like are living their, you know, newfound glory dreams and just sing these like either punk songs or like emo-ish songs or and, and don't get me wrong I can get down with a dashboard but like um what well, Saturday night wasn't even an example of that people were singing like Mr. Brightside which if you're not Cameron Diaz in the holiday I'm not interested you can't be like choking on your alibis and me not just think of her and her gorgeous cashmere turtleneck sweater and the Cotswolds um but they were singing okay this one guy gets up there he's super drunk he's like getting the crowd hyped he's ready to go he starts singing Ocean Avenue by Yellow Card. Do you really think that the at 1 a.m. the crowds, the ladies are going to be like, there's a place on Ocean Avenue. No, they want to hear all for one. They want to hear boys to men. Hell, they want to hear Tim McGraw barbecue stand on a white T-shirt. I don't know. Just don't know what don't sing Yellow Card. Are you kidding me? And then I don't know. It was just one bad choice after the other until one guy thank god read the room and starts singing brian mcknight's back at one which i'm a big fan of period but i'm a really big fan of lyrically because it's awesomely lazy and that it 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 has a numbered list and one of the numbers they couldn't even think of a thing for he says one you're like a dream come true two just want to be with you three girl it's plain to see you're the only one for me four 
repeat steps one through three, five, make you fall in love with me. It's like, okay, I get that you needed to rhyme with me, but we went from five steps to, well, I suppose eight steps. If you, if you count step four as being separate from the repetition of one through three, so it's steps one, two, three, then four is repeat steps one through three. So is, does that add? Well, I guess if four is the repetition, then it is, that would be six full steps. Then adding five, make you fall in love with me. I guess it's seven steps, but is that confusing? Anyway, long story short, Brian McKnight. I think you could have simplified this song, but that doesn't make me love it any less, and it didn't make this guy bring the house down any less. So back at one, great karaoke song. Then somebody sang uh, the, the, the song I played, the county auction song. And it wasn't a song anybody was really singing along with because I don't think uh, it widely is like um, a favorite in terms of songs you know by heart. But it's a song that always, it's upbeat and it gets the crowd going and it's not as cliche as Friends in Low Places. Friends in Low Places is a little tired at this point, gang. I get it. Blame it all on your roots. You showed up in boots and ruined the black tie affair. You and your friends are so down home. You're so cash. You're so cool. But I think we've heard enough of it at this point. And I need another, I need another song. Garth Brooks has many other great songs. And like, there's just a lot of other better country songs that are not Darius Rucker. Because Darius Rucker, to me, is Hootie. And I love Hootie and the Blowfish. If you, if you want to be moved, if you want to be shook to, if you want to just absolutely feel feelings and feel a certain 90s level of feelings that can only take you places that I think maybe Alanis Morissette, maybe Fiona Apple. Nah, I don't like Criminal. That music video creeped me out. Uh, do you remember the Criminal music video? It, it was like, the criminal music video I would liken to the clip art of uh, D.A.R.E. drug education PowerPoints where they'd have clip art of these people like smoking dope that had lines around them. Like I say, a Linus does in Charlie Brown, the kid with the blankie that's smelly. The, 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 that is what Fiona Apple's criminal video was like to me. I thought what, she was the prime example of, of D.A.R.E. gone wrong. She was like... Say, she was sitting in a closet, I think in her underwear, wearing a spaghetti. She had one spaghetti strap off of her shoulder, which, you know, to not have the awareness of where your straps are, we all know is a different level of out of your mind. And she just looked sullen and sad and weird. And I swear that music video is solely responsible for me never being allowed to watch TRL, MTV, VH1, period, because it made music videos look like they were all you know, sex-driven drug parties where you're feeling like a criminal hole because I thought the song was criminal hole because the way she says criminal is so syllabically dr- so dragged out, it's, it's confusing. Um, you know, don't know what she's up to these days, but send my regards to Fiona should you see or hear her. Um, but yeah, Hootie and the Blowfish... Yes, I like the songs like Hold My Hand that were really popular, but I love I Go Blind and I love Let Her Cry. Let Her Cry, as I revealed with my personality type and probably general demeanor and, you know, uh, ping-ponging across topics, happy and sad, Let Her Cry is a song that speaks to me because I am sentimental, I cry happy a lot, I cry sad a lot. I am a person that doesn't need to be fixed 
I am a person that just needs to be, I, I need to be allowed to be sad for a minute. And that song has meant a lot to me throughout my life. And I just think is a great, um, it, it shows off a great range of, of Darius Rucker's voice before he went country star, before he redid Wagon Wheel. I, I think I've been clear about how I feel about many covers, I suppose, on this podcast, whether discussing Britney Spears' version of I Love Rock and Roll and Crossroads or Rascal Flatts' version of Life is a Highway. I just, I, I struggle. I struggle. I struggle with a bad cover. What can I say? Uh, Jessica Simpson Angels. Jessica and Nick take my breath away. On my random shuffle, another song that came on was Jessica Simpson's With You. I can let my hair down. I can say anything crazy. I know you'll catch me right before I hit the ground. Which is weird listening to now because now it's like I can say anything crazy. I know you'll divorce me right after I think, you know, Tuna is chicken and that my dad is now an openly gay man who was pretending to be a really conservative preacher that forced me into being a virgin till marriage and then told you how to live when really he was living a lie the whole time. Good times, Nick Lachey. Glad you're with Vanessa now. Don't think this Simpson family was for you. <laughs> but anyway, this was this was this was something. I am 41 minutes in and I am my throat is so dry. I am bordering on slurring because it's Monday afternoon and sometimes I, I sometimes it takes me a long time to record these and they'll be in pieces and I'll like pop in throughout the day or a couple of days and sometimes I'll just talk and look up and it's 45 minutes and I'm like wow what did I just say but those are the episodes I try not to edit because it's actually a fun stream of consciousness and um I don't know I feel like people don't come here to listen to a highly produced podcast they come here to listen to a series of Objectively disjointed yet somehow connected thoughts from the brain of me who through my reviews I realize is the brain of many of you too, which is so awesome. And that's why I keep leaning in to the nonsense and not doing less of what I at first thought would make nobody listen. I am, again, honored and privileged to keep you company and thank you for appreciating this format because I know it is weird, but I have so, so much fun doing it and Given my initial mission to combat the loneliness of self-employment, I would say mission accomplished because knowing you'll all be out there listening keeps me company and it it makes me satisfied and um, I appreciate it so, so much. Um, so I'm going to sign off. Uh, again, thank you for listening last week too, to, uh, or a few days ago rather. I thought it was worth discussing. Um, it's some uh, mental health is something I'm very passionate about, advocating for, educating about, having people feel like they can open up about in some way, shape, or form. Um, I, I want to normalize it as much as I can. Uh, just I don't know if anything to make somebody feel slightly less alone, or at least just to enable people to. Um, feel less like it's a thing you have to get over and get past and conquer and cure and more something that can reach a level of manageability and uh, that you can live with and still have a very fulfilled, inspired life, despite it being an underlying theme. Somebody brought this up to me on Instagram, who I, and I'm so appreciative with your feedback. Um, I believe they said they were a, a uh, bereavement counselor who had mental health professionals talking to them. And they said the most important thing you can do is to not say like, I can't imagine or to treat it like it's something like you'll get through this, but to be like, no, this is something that you can live with, that you can manage, you can control, that you can accept. And 
move on accordingly. But when it becomes this obstacle, I think is when it feels more helpless and overwhelming. And I appreciate that feedback because that's kind of what I was trying to say last week, but I wasn't sure if it was the right thing to say. Um, I wasn't sure if that was like damning advice to be like, you, you'll learn to live with it. It's, that's kind of, you know, I didn't want that to seem depressing, but um, I appreciated her telling me about her professional feedback in that it, uh, it, it, that's a good way to approach it too. So just something, a tip to you all if, along those lines, something I heard that I thought was really good, actionable, helpful advice, you know, rather than at the, everything happens for a reason spiel, which I both believe and hate to give out because I think it's something that the subject says retrospectively and sincerely in that it has applied to their life, but that is impossible advice to apply to somebody in real time looking forward. Um, so anyway, continue to send me your feedback and your thoughts and your, I, I love hearing anybody's commentary based on any of the topics we discussed. And, uh, I am learning so much from my listeners as well. And it's awesome. So anywho, gang, I uh, appreciate you being here and I will leave you with my favorite Houdini the Blowfish song, as I mentioned, and should you today or tomorrow or any day need a good cry, by all means, let yourself. It is such a release. Straight out of your stomach and out of your throat, out of your eyes, it'll get rid of it. Get, it helps me get rid of so much anxiety and so much pent up emotion. And I don't know. I just I love a good cry, you know. And if if you aren't a crier, and I then suggest you listen to Butterfly Kisses, which is a curse to mankind, and that is the saddest, most sentimental song, and it just makes me want to die every time I listen to it. Um, and I'm gonna cry talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me at, at be there in five F I V E, not the number be there in five.com. Same deal. Be there in five.etsy.com for my reminder mats. We are known for things that see you on your way out of the home, like turn off your straightener, turn off, turn off your curling iron, both registered us trademarks of be there in five LLC as is shoes off bitches, much to the pride of my mother, as is the phrase be there in five. So anytime you text a friend, pay me a royalty, JK. Doesn't apply to cell phone messages. Um, so yeah, be there in five.etsy.com and be there in five.com. You can find mats, you can find original artwork, you can commission paintings, you can get prints, you can get gold foil stuff, you can get everything I do day to day to keep myself afloat while I figure out what the hell to do with my own life. So also, if you want to support this podcast um, until I have sponsors uh, more formally, more consistency, shout out again to Make Space for being the best um for you know not necessarily sponsoring this podcast but for offering me free storage if i talked about them which i wanted to do anyway which i appreciate because lord knows i love businesses supporting other businesses regardless of size but if they appreciate the pitch and the message and the engagement that is awesome um but yeah if, if you want to support the podcast and hear bonus episodes go to patreon.com slash be there in five it's a dollar a month and i post um Usually these episodes early or cuts of it that I haven't posted. And I know I, I, I know I keep saying this, but I have a whole half episode from the last one that I need to post. But like I, I need to listen to it first because I still get a little bit nervous. And my least favorite hobby is listening to myself. So it takes me forever because I never really want to listen back to them because it's embarrassing. But a dollar helps to uh, hire other people to do that for me <laughs> uh, so I can keep going and spend time on other things like making more podcasts polished more polished content like pursuing my hopes and dreams whatever those may be i'll keep you posted but anyway as always 
Let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. She never lets me in, only tells me where she's been When she's had too much to drink